Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. If you would, let's begin our um, teaching today by going into the New Testament and let's go to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, and when you get into that book, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, we want to look at chapter 5, the very last chapter of 1 Thessalonians. These are two books in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul, and they were written to the Thessalonians to help them understand exactly what we're trying to understand here in this um, teaching series on important prophetic terms. We're looking at seven sets of prophetic terms that are going to be um, beneficial to understand the contrast, the difference between. That's why we're looking at seven sets. Uh, We've looked at the Son of God contrasted with the Son of Man, and we're in the process of contrasting the day of Christ with the day of the Lord, and we're going to do five more after this before we get into our overview in our next teaching series on the 30 prophetic events that are yet to happen according to the Bible, uh, starting with, I believe, the rapture of the church, uh, because I believe that's very clearly what the the scriptures teach. In fact, we're in that discussion right now as part of this um, particular set of terms as we look at the contrast of the day of Christ and the day of the Lord. And We went through all the New Testament scriptures with the day of Christ because there are no Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament uh, did not talk about the church at all. Uh, It was a mystery, as Paul tells us in his writings in the New Testament, because the Old Testament was focused on Israel. And according to the focus on Israel, there was the first coming of Christ to offer the kingdom to Israel. And you might think somewhat myopically, well, what's the big deal about Israel? Well, the scriptures are very clear about why God chose Israel. It's because they weren't anything special. In fact, they were the least special of the nations. That's why he picked them. But he picked them that they would come to know him and would would worship him and learn how to live uh, under his leadership, under under a... um, leadership of God as opposed to a man, and that through that understanding, through that development of their their spiritual um, walk, they would take that to the heathen, idol-worshiping countries of the world. That was God's intention, was to spread um, his love through an a understanding of his scripture and an understanding and obedience to his commandments and his statutes and his ordinances that the world would come to know him. Well, it obviously failed. So he sent Jesus, and of course the Jews rejected Jesus. So that was the end of the first view, if you will, of uh, God's sending of Jesus to bring the, uh, the kingdom to fruition, the promised kingdom, and the good news to the world. So they refused. So the next thing the Jews 
are told in the Old Testament is the second coming, the second time Christ comes back to Israel to offer the kingdom. And this time they accept the offer, or at least a small remnant of them does. And of course, Jesus judges the world at the second coming, which is part of the day of the Lord, and sets up his wonderful millennial kingdom with Israel as the central uh, ethnic group in that kingdom. The whole world will look up to Israel um, as an ethnic group. And of course, Jesus, a Jew, will be king of kings and lord of lords during that millennial kingdom. And so they they didn't understand the day of Christ. Consequently, when you look at our worksheet that's available uh, to download from this radio station's website, you can see they're all New Testament passages, whereas you look at the day of the Lord on the worksheet, the ones I have, uh, and I have whole studies on the day of the Lord. Uh, you know, there's 70, over 70 different terms are used in the scriptures to describe the day of the Lord. Um, you see that almost all of them are Old Testament because it's an Old Testament concept. But it's taught in the New Testament because the Jews refused the first time. If the Jews had accepted Christ the first time, the day of the Lord would have already come because that's uh, a, a big part of the tribulation that ends with the judgment of Christ. The Jews in the Old Testament knew from the Old Testament that there would be a tribulation that would precede the coming of the king, the Messiah, to set up his kingdom. And they were taught that. They just unfortunately didn't believe it. Only a handful did. Um, and those were the ones that ultimately ended up as parts of the church or are going to be counted if they died before Christ was glorified. At the end of his ministry, they would come back in their glorified bodies as Old Testament saints, as described in um, uh, one good point place is Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2. So they knew this was coming, but it didn't happen, so there's the second time. So we're now talking about what the Jews know from their scriptures is the day of the Lord. And Paul is, is teaching these Thessalonians uh, about 20, 20, approximately 20 years after Christ had gone back to heaven. The church has been developed. It's now growing rapidly. And these people are under the thumb of the Roman Empire in Thessalonia as well as most of the world because the, the dominant uh, uh, empire, the government at that time, was the Roman Empire. And they believed that Caesar should be worshipped as God only, no one else. And, of course, these people come along, and they are troublemakers. They're part of this new thing called the way, and they're following after this guy that died 20 years ago named Jesus. So they're doing everything they can as Romans to stamp this out, and they're harassing. Um, they are persecuting these believers, and that the people in Thessalonia uh, Thessalonica in Greece, uh, this was a major Roman outpost that had uh, government officials there. Uh, that's also with Philippi and other places in that immediate area. And they thought, because of some bad teaching, that they were in the tribulation. And according to what they had been taught by Paul, if they're in the tribulation, they have missed the rapture because the rapture happens before the tribulation starts. So this is just one more evidence of a pre-tribulation rapture, which 
Unfortunately, very few churches today teach that. They teach that the church has to go through tribulation for whatever reasons they come up with. But there's so much of the Scripture, in fact, all the Scripture, uh, that applies, that is applicable to these events, teaches a pre-trib rapture. I can't, I really can't see it any other way, particularly if you differentiate Israel from the church. And that's the main cause for churches teaching this um, false doctrine, if you will, is because they believe the church has replaced Israel in God's um, future events. So um, enough of that. Let's get back to the facts. Let's get back to the Scripture. And we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we were in verse 3, and we had looked at the term peace and safety, that these people, these unbelievers, uh, talking about specifically about Israel, during the tribulation period, would be saying peace and safety. And, of course, we went to uh, uh, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, to understand why they would be saying peace and safety during the tribulation. And we learned that in the first three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation, the Israelites will be the only people group, according to the Bible, the only people group in the world that will be protected from the horrible events of the first half of the tribulation. Remember, we've mentioned several times because of um, studies in Revelation that approximately half the world's population that is left on the earth after the rapture of the church will die in the first half. So it's a horrible time, and a number of events take place. But Israel is protected from this. So they're looking around the world and seeing all of this tumult and destruction and calamity and they're saying, haughtily so, peace and safety for us. And why would they say that in a haughty way? Well, we went to Isaiah 28, Isaiah 28, and it was 14 to 18, verses 14 to 18, and it describes this treaty from God's perspective, and that's the key. And it's interesting, as we talk about Daniel, we know that Daniel would interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams from a human perspective, and then God would come back and describe them from his perspective. From man's perspective, it was that wonderful statue starting out with a head of gold and shoulders of silver and working its way down, representing the different empires. God came back and described them as horrible beasts, which is the way God sees it, and therefore that's the proper way to see it. There's nothing majestic about these empires. They're terrible beasts that ultimately die. And, of course, that's understanding that there's nothing righteous about them, that the only empire that's good, the only empire that's worthwhile, the only empire that will last forever is going to be the empire that's set, that's set up by Christ, that millennial kingdom. So in Isaiah 28, they're haughtily saying, we've entered into a peace treaty with Sheol, with the devil is what they're basically saying. Uh, that's how um, warped the thinking is of the Israelites during the tribulation period. They've been so caught up in the lies that the Antichrist, remember they're, um, they're looking on the Antichrist as the Christ in the first half. They have been horribly deluded into this thinking. To the point at the end of the three and a half years, as Daniel tells us, and as Christ 
paraphrases Daniel in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, that they invite the Antichrist into their temple that they have built. They've built it in unbelief, and it will be destroyed during the tribulation. But they have built this third temple, and they have invited the Antichrist, whom they believe is the Christ, into the temple. And when he comes into the temple at the midpoint, he declares himself God, revokes the treaty of peace with Israel, and basically goes to war against Israel. And that begins the second three and a half years of the tribulation. That begins what's called the Great Tribulation. Because as far as God's concerned, looking at his wife, looking at the nation of Israel, this is the tribulation that's focused on Israel. By golly, they have uh, worshipped the Antichrist instead of my son. They have followed the leading and the teachings of the false prophet. When I had promised them Elijah would come before the great and terrible day of the Lord, they're following a guy that's mimicking Elijah. Remember, you find out that the Antichrist um, is mimicking Christ and the false prophet is mimicking Elijah. Remember Elijah called the fire down from heaven on Mount uh, Carmel in front of the priests of Baal? Well, it turns out the false prophet does the same thing. So they're believing this lie, and it's just, if you will, it's infuriated God. So God has decided at the midpoint he's going to winnow out the righteous remnant of Jews, and that's the purpose of the second half of the tribulation, and ultimately that's what's, that's what happens. A third of the Jews, according to Zechariah, the second to the last book of the Old Testament, according to Zechariah, a third of the Jews living at the end of the tribulation will come to faith in Christ, and they are the ones that are going to populate Israel. Every one of those right, those remnant Jews will be righteous. Therefore, when you read in Romans chapter 11, verse 26, that all Israel is saved or will be saved, that's what it's talking about, that righteous remnant that walks in to the millennial kingdom to populate uh, the land of Israel, they will all be righteous at that point in time. So it's a wonderful um, thing to understand about how God's plans are going to work out for his wife, if you will. She has been adulterous. She has been a harlot um, uh, from a spiritual perspective for all of these millennia. But the, the, the relationship is going to be brought back into its full glory, if you will, its full glory with the, um, the bride or now wife, of, if you will, of Israel in the millennial kingdom and their husband sitting on the throne. So it's a, it's a glorious time to look forward to if you understand it from the perspective that God's focus is on Israel his focus is not on the church because the church has been taken away to heaven and Jesus is focused on the church. God has put his focus back on his wife. We are now the wife of Christ in heaven. Israel is having its relationship renewed with her husband from all the way back in Exodus 19 with her husband at the end of the tribulation period. So when you see it from those perspectives, it just flows. It flows so easily and so smoothly 
if you allow the scripture to um, tell the story to you rather than overlaying the beliefs that you've been taught by somebody onto the scriptures. So let's move on in chapter three of uh, chapter five of First Thessalonians. Uh, the first term was peace and safety. The second was the labor pains. He says that then destruction will come upon them suddenly, will become upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Well, what about these labor pains? Labor pains come on a, a woman fairly quickly, and they're telling you that birth is getting ready to take place. And that's used in a, several different places in the Scripture. But I want to go to one in the New Testament here, in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, where Jesus has been asked by a handful of the apostles, what's it going to be like for the tribulation and for your coming, which is what the Old Testament teaches. Remember, there's nothing in the Old Testament about the um, the church age. All they've been taught in the Old Testament scriptures is there's going to be, because he was rejected the first time, Isaiah 53 goes into bloody detail about his crucifixion and so forth. He's going to be sent, a, he's coming back a second time from the Father, from heaven. But before that, there's going to be a tribulation prophesied all through the Old Testament. So they want to know what are the signs of this What's going to happen, and what about your second coming? And that's what Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 are all about. It's called the Olivet Discourse. So in Matthew 24, at the beginning, they ask him in chapter 24, verse 3, tell us when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And he goes through and he talks about wars and rumors of wars and things and so forth like that. But then go down to verse 8. He talks about all that, and he says, but all these things, and what what are these things? What he's just listed above there, the wars and the rumors of wars. Uh, see that these things don't frighten you, that kingdom will go to war against kingdom and so forth. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And I find it very interesting that what is listed as these birth pangs up above in Matthew 24 are exactly the same things that are listed. And by the way, in the same order, the same things in the same order are listed in Revelation chapter 6, describing the opening of the seals in the first half of the tribulation. So these birth pangs are going to be taking place outside of Israel while Israel is claiming peace and safety, going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, they're going to be saying peace and safety, and they're going to be seeing these birth pangs going on around them, but they're told in Matthew 24, verse 8, but these are all birth pangs, and they're just merely the beginning of birth pangs. And then verse 9, then they will deliver you to tribulation. He's telling them then the second half of the tribulation starts. So this is exciting stuff, and I, I can't wait till our next program to uh, continue on with this uh, as we finish up looking at the day of the Lord and how it, how how Paul and and Matthew, for that matter, but particularly Paul, is differentiating for the Thessalonians between the day of Christ, the rapture, and the day of the Lord, which is 
that second half of tribulation leading up to the judgment of Christ, the second coming of Christ. But as we always do in our programs, let's let's um, transition over to our Q&A. And we were in the book of Acts. So if you would, we're in uh, Matthew right now, whether you're in Matthew 24 um, or th- Matthew 24, you want to move to the right, uh, right past John to Acts. If you're in Thessalonians, you want to move back to the left. But we were in Acts chapter 15 as we're trying to answer a question of does the fact that Israel is the wife of God have any impact on end-time prophecy? And it has everything to do with end-time prophecy because end-time prophecy is almost all about the wife of God. Israel is the wife of God. And we went through over our last several programs during the Q&A to show how um, Israel was wedded to God back in Exodus 19. Three to six was God... Uh, making the offer, if you will, and Exodus 19, verse 8, was Israel accepting the offer to um, to be wedded. In fact, the ceremony as it's described in Exodus, the wedding ceremony as it's described in Exodus 19, is basically how a traditional Jewish wedding is conducted today. Uh, the chupa, or hupa, depending on how you hear it pronounced, is actually a symbol of coming up to the foot of Mount Sinai uh, and, and so many other things. In fact, I have a whole teaching series on the ancient Jewish wedding and how it relates to the uh, rapture, uh, the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ because uh, we're, all, we're involved in all of that, and it's all symbolized in a uh, Jewish wedding. So we, uh, we went through and showed that, yes, indeed, uh, Israel is the wife of God. God's focus is Israel, but his, his focus has not always been Israel. There's a period of time called the church age that uh, started at Pentecost, uh, just a couple of months after, actually 50 days after Jesus was um, resurrected from the grave. But it will end. It has a very specific and finite beginning. Uh, on a specific day, and it has a very specific and finite ending on a particular day, and that's the rapture. So between the Pente- between Pentecost and the rapture is the church age. And once the church is raptured out, the church age is over. The church is, is intact. In fact, it's in heaven in its glorified body, waiting to come back with Christ at his second coming to rule and reign with him here on the earth for that thousand-year kingdom. But Everything before Pentecost and everything after the rapture in the Bible is about Israel. It's about Israel. So we need to address the church first so we make sure, because obviously you and I are interested in the church because we are the church. Uh, spiritually, we are the building blocks of the church with Christ as our, as our head and our bridegroom and future husband. And we were making that point in Acts chapter 15. So if we could go to Acts chapter 15, Matthew, Luke, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you've gone to Romans, you've gone too far. We went to Acts chapter 15, and in context, this is Paul coming back to the church uh, at Jerusalem, the headquarters at that time, where the council uh, met with the apostles, with James, the half-brother of Christ, as the president of the council. And this is about um, 
48, 49 A.D., and Paul has come back and he's sharing with the Jewish leaders who so far have had the experience, uh, with the exception of Peter, that the, the gospel needs to go to the Jews. Remember, Jesus told the apostles while he was here on the earth, take the gospel of the kingdom to the lost tribes of Israel. Don't take them to the Gentiles. Don't take it to the Samaritans, just to Israel. And they, in effect, these not quite 20 years later, are still kind of laboring under that understanding that while Paul has gone out and has been sharing the gospel with the Gentiles, and they have been coming to faith in Jesus Christ in droves all over Turkey and Greece, and he hasn't even finished his missionary journeys yet, yet he's experiencing, has experienced and is now expressing the great joy that he's had in seeing these Gentiles come to faith in Christ So he's now come back and related to them. And, of course, Peter's relating about his experience with Cornelius, old hard-headed Peter. He was convinced that only the Jews were going to be able to accept Christ, that the Gentiles were dogs. (laughs) Well, with the three-sheet experience at Jaffa, he was then taken up to Caesarea by the sea, and he met Cornelius, and he saw a Gentile except Christ, and he saw the working of the Holy Spirit and was convinced. So this is all coming together. It's all coming together here in Acts chapter 15 at this council uh, of the church at Jerusalem. And it says, um, this is James, the president of the council, saying in verse 14 of Acts chapter 15. So Acts 15, verse 14, Simeon, or Peter, has related how God First, so again, as we pointed out in our last program, this is a sequence of events, and it's important that you see and understand this sequence of events. Simeon, or Peter, has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles, not the Jews, the Gentiles, a people for his name. With these words of the prophets, with the with this, the words of the prophets agree, as it is written. So he shifts all the way to the prophecies of Amos, which is going back now over 700 years from this point in time in Acts 15. Um, the words of the prophets agree, as it is written, after these things, what things? After God has taken from among the Gentiles a people for his name, I will return. So the rapture takes place. Then he says, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. That's a reference to the millennial kingdom, the setting up of the temple in Jerusalem, the fourth great millennial eternal temple, with Israel as the dominant people group, and as Ezekiel says, with with, uh, the resurrected David as king of Israel again, with the resurrected apostles, as we read in Matthew 19, they're resurrected to sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel during the millennial kingdom. He says, therefore, I'll rebuild the tabernacle of David. That's what all that means. And I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. And then he says in 17, so that the rest of mankind. What has happened during the tribulation? The vast majority of the earth has been destroyed, and he's going to bring the remaining people back to him 
We'll continue in our next program. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, the basics from Consider the Ant. Simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.